What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Jamal's Giants podcast. I'm your host, Jamal Frank. And once again, I just want to say thank you all for tuning in. Whether this is your third, fourth, fifth time listening or whether this is your first time listening. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, I hope you can learn something from this episode and can gain some knowledge from it and and will continue to tune into the next few episodes and the next episodes period. So before I explain the topic for today and what what I'm going to be talking about, I want to give my shout outs and read the verse for today. So my verse for today is going to be Matthew chapter six, verse 34, and it's going to read, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Once again, Matthew chapter six, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And my shout outs for today are going to be to my auntie Angel and my cousins Kaden and Cameron. I love y'all. I appreciate y'all as well. And I hope y'all can enjoy this episode. I hope y'all will enjoy this episode and and just have fun listening. <laughs> this is for y'all for sure. So now with that being said, today's episode is going to be the first part of a four part series here on our podcast. And this series is going to be in honor of Black History Month. So for the first part, and for this episode in particular, I'm going to be talking about and giving you guys a basically a brief rundown of Dr. Carter G. Woodson. And for those who don't know, Dr. Carter G. Woodson was a black author, a black historian, a black journalist, and by many, he's known to be the father of black history. So when you hear that term, you might be you might be thinking like that carries a lot of weight, like who, who could carry such a name like that? And I want to explain to you all why he has that nickname. So with that being said, we're going to start from the beginning. <clears throat> Dr. Carter G. Woodson was born December 19th, 1875 in New Canton, Virginia to Ann Riddle and James Woodson. And his parents were very pivotal in shaping the man that he would later become. Both of them were former slaves were former enslaved people, I should say. His both of his parents were illiterate, but they still taught him the things that he needed. For example, his father was known to be very rebellious and to stand up against his slave owners and his quote unquote slave masters. He was known to fight back against beatings. His mother offered and volunteered herself in the place of her younger siblings to be traded away to a different slave plantation just to keep her younger siblings and her and her mother from being split up. But that was declined. But just though hearing those two things told me, and I hope it tells you that his parents were very courageous people and that they were very bold and, and unafraid of many things because I couldn't even imagine being in a situation like that. So his parents were rebellious. They were not rebellious, but they were very bold and courageous. And his grandfather was was the exact same way. His grandfather was known to to avoid beatings. And his grandfather was also intelligent as well. His grandfather was hired hired for work as an enslaved man, which is very uncommon. So moving forward, his parents married in 1867. Once again, he was born in 1875. So his parents were married, got married in 1867 in Buckingham County, Virginia, which is where his mother, Mrs. Ann Riddle, offered to trade herself in place of her younger siblings, but was declined. So therefore, she stayed in Buckingham County meeting Mr. James Woodson, Dr. Carter G. Woodson's father. All in all, he grew up very poor, didn't have much time to really study, nothing like that. So 
everything he learned was outside of the classroom from his father, from his mother, those that type of upbringing. And I want to speak on how important that is to this organization and to us as African-Americans, because to me, this tells me that you don't have to be in a classroom to learn. Life can teach you. A man is going to teach you regardless. A woman is going to teach you regardless. It's going to teach you what they what they decide to teach you, whether it be good or bad. I hope it's not bad, but that tells me that it's important to us to always watch what we do, not to be role models, but to be real models. You got to keep it real with the youth. That's all they want. And it's it's on us as young adults and adults, teenagers and people that are being looked up to and respected and that are in these positions to teach, to be knowledgeable and to think about what we're doing. So that's what that told me. Just always keep in mind what you're doing because this this young brother was taught things from his father who was illiterate that might not make sense to any of you but it really does because a man is a man at the end of the day so moving past that he worked on the farm on the family farm until he was 17 when he when he and his brothers went to go work at a coal mine in west virginia and i would say that this is the most important part of his story because when he began working at this coal mine, he met a man by the name of Oliver Jones. And Mr. Oliver Jones was what many would consider an OG in the black community. Mr. Oliver Jones was a veteran, was, excuse me, an illiterate black veteran and a miner who opened his home to the other to the other miners, particularly the other black miners. And what he would do is he would have Dr. Carter G. Well, he wasn't a doctor at the time, but he would have Carter read to the other illiterate miners and the and the other miners in general who would have them read news he would have him read newspapers read books and whatever else they could find to the miners in exchange for refreshments like water ice cream watermelon things like that and that might not sound like a huge deal but when you're doing such laborious work and and work that requires such focus and dedication it it's huge to have refreshments like that, as simple as that is, as, as simple as that may sound. So Carter didn't realize what was going on, but Mr. Oliver Jones, this OG, this huge shout out, this veteran was was basically putting him on game and was instilling that fire and that desire and that passion to study black history. Because not only was he having Carter read to these to these brothers, he was they were having discussions open table discussions they were talking about black history all all that type of good stuff they were talking about black politics all that so it was just like a perfect melting pot of ingredients to inspire dr carter to learn this black history and to begin that and, and to begin to plant that seed in his mind to pursue learning black history basically and that's huge to me because knowing what what they went through to get this knowledge it inspires me and it it makes me want to be even more thirsty for this knowledge because they had to go through a lot to get it and we can take that for granted now myself included so i definitely want to work on that and i definitely wanted to emphasize that excuse me so once again he met mr oliver mr oliver jones set him on the right track and once he left working at the mine he he, he left much more knowledgeable than when he entered of course he entered when he was 17 he left when he was about 20 and he wasn't able to formally go to high school until 1895, once again, when he was 20 years old. And ironically enough, he attended Frederick Douglass High School in Huntington, Virginia. And Frederick Douglass, of course, is a 
is another black pioneer. So for for Carter to go to the high school named after another black pioneer is huge to me. And it's it's very ironic and very cool that they cross paths in a way, not directly, but they indirectly cross paths. And when he got to Frederick Douglass High School, funny enough as well, his uncles and one of his cousins were instructors there. So he was able to see yet again more black instructors, more black teachers, more black quote unquote professors indirectly. So that was also planting that seed in that that vision that he could be that because none of us can be anything that we that we can't see, regardless of the profession, the the color, your skin, the the creed that you're from, whatever. You can't become something unless you see it over and over and over. Not to the utmost. You won't you won't fulfill your your ability, I would say. So when he went to Frederick Douglass High School, when he when he saw his uncles and his cousin working there and let alone not working there, but also teaching there, it can tell you it continued to water that seed that was planted by Mr. Oliver and his father. And at Frederick Douglass High School, he received his diploma after only two years. I'm going to repeat that. He received his high school diploma after only two years of, of formal schooling. Personally, <laughs> I don't know about you listening, but I earned my degree. My, well, not my degree. <laughs> my diploma after four years. Mr. Carter earned his after two years. Of course, the times were different back then, but this speaks just to how brilliant and bright he was. Because you got to remember, he grew up on a farm. His father was illiterate. His farmers were formerly enslaved. So for him to graduate high school in two years, it goes to show you that he was fast tracked and he was he was different. He had a, a, a very bright mind. And after high school, he became a teacher at another high school in West Virginia from 1898 to 1900. And then, ironically enough, yet again, in 1900, he was selected to be the president of I mean, the, the excuse me, the principal of Frederick Douglass High School. So the same high school he graduated from in two years, the same high school named after a black trailblazer, an African-American pioneer before him, he became he would be named the principal of that school after he graduated. And after leaving Frederick Douglass High School and for being the principal there, he would later enroll at Berea College, which is in Kentucky. And that's not far from where I'm located at right now as I'm recording this. I've been to Berea College. So when I learned that he was enrolled and would actually earn his first degree at Berea College, that was really inspiring to me in a way because I didn't know that Berea College has such a rich history because it's in Kentucky so I had no idea of it so he went to Berea College he would he enrolled part-time excuse me he enrolled part-time at Berea College and he would graduate in 1903 and at the time Berea College was an integrated university meaning there wasn't just black or white there wasn't just black or just white students they were mixed and at that time of course you know that's huge that's very very big so shout out to Berea College for that. And Berea College was also founded by abolitionists. Abolitionists being people who fought basically to end slavery, child of slavery and whatnot. So he earned his bachelor degree in literature in about two years from Berea College as well. So just like he earned his high school diploma in two years, he earned his college degree, his first college degree in two years. <clears throat> now, after earning his degree, he went to the Philippines Yes, all the way to the Philippines from Kentucky, from Berea College in Kentucky. He went to the Philippines. While there, he was teaching. And as he was teaching, and while he was teaching was, he realized that just like us here in, in the States, 
And in America don't know much of our own history Neither do people outside of the world Outside of the United States, excuse me So when he was going to these other countries Not just Philippines He was teaching and he was studying And he was, once again, watering the seeds that were planted in him early And this was all growing and growing and growing So By 1908, he earned his second bachelor's degree Excuse me After the Philippines, he came back to the University of Chicago And by 1908, he earned his second bachelor's degree And a master's degree in European history that that puts him at three degrees in a diploma, which is huge. That's something that some people nowadays will never achieve. Yes, there's a lot of people that have achieved that and huge shout out to them. That's big. But you got to put it in the context of what he looked like, what his skin color was and where he was at in the world. So for him to do that at that time was huge, but he wasn't done. That fall, after leaving, after graduating the University of Chicago, he would enroll at Harvard University. And he would eventually earn his Ph.D. in history. And this is in 1912. And what's so big about him graduating from Harvard University and earning his Ph.D. from that university is that he was only the second African-American to do so. The first being W.E.B. Du Bois. And for those who don't know, just like Dr. Carter G. Woodson, W.E.B. Du Bois was also a black pioneer. I don't want to give too much about him. I encourage you to do your own research, but just know that W.E.B. Du Bois was a black pioneer and a black trailblazer, just like Dr. Carter G. Woodson would go on to be. After graduating from Harvard, um, Dr. Carter G. Woodson decided that he wanted to focus more on putting out this black history that he had learned and that he had accumulated over, over his experiences in life, over working with Mr. Oliver or reading to Mr. Oliver over teaching in the Philippines, going to school, University of Chicago, Berea University. From all of his experiences, he decided that he wanted to focus on putting out that history to other African-Americans who didn't have access to those things. Those African-Americans who were illiterate and those African-Americans who, simply put, didn't have access to that or had no idea about it because it wasn't common. Most historians at that time were white, to be honest. And, and this isn't me speaking my opinion. This is straight facts. Most historians at that time were white and they only told what they wanted to be told. They didn't tell the history if they, and that's if they knew it themselves. Most things were a lot of things could have been fabricated back then as well. So he realized that there was a, a hole and a gap that he could fill in teaching black history to specifically black students and black people, but everybody as well. So with that being said, in 1915, he founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. And this association is huge because in this association, they held conferences, discussions, and he even published, well, they even published the Journal of Negro History. And he created this association with four other black men at a YMCA at one of their local, at one of their annual slash, you know, weekly, whatever the time span on that may be, YMCA meetings. And that's, inspiring to me because that's the grassroots level that's that's local jamal's giants is all about being local and about working with what you got so for him to create such an organization at a ymca that's huge that's big you don't it's not common to just come up with something like that out of out the blue so for him to do that that's very inspiring to me and that same year he published his first book the education of the Negro prior to 1861. Once again, this is only building on his repertoire and adding to what he's doing and in his education and helping those who he can. So 
No. <clears throat> From 1915, excuse me, I'll, I'll make sure I got my facts right. I don't want to put out anything wrong. From 1915 to 1920, he was just publishing books, doing a lot of good works, studying, studying, studying. That was his grind. That was what he was focused on, studying and and putting out books and continuing to educate. But, of course, he was far from being done. 1920, he became the dean of the School of Liberal Arts at Howard University. And he would eventually go on to be the dean at West Virginia State, but will retire from teaching in 1922. And he retired, just simply put, to focus on, on his work and to step back from teaching in the classroom to, to publishing the knowledge that he has in his mind and not just teaching it. He wanted to publish it, if that makes sense. So he stepped back from teaching in 1922 to focus solely on putting out this black history that he had accumulated and learned about himself. And that, that to me, just speaks to his dedication for his people. That's something I strive to be like. Of course, I, I don't want to be a Carter G. Woodson. I want to I want to have my own impact, but I can appreciate that that grind and that dedication to his people, to my people, to our people. And this is this episode isn't just for black people, for African-American people. This is for anybody, any race, any color listening. I would like you guys to learn as well, because black history is American history. So this episode is pertinent and important to all of us. With that being said, in 1926, he came up with the Negro History Week. Because, of course, you know, he wanted to spread his black history to everybody, not just his black students, not just his students, period. So he created Negro History Week in 1926. And the week was celebrated on the on February 7th, the week of February 7th, 1926. And he did this intentionally. He did this because this date lined up with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Once again, ties back into Frederick Douglass because... Frederick Douglass, him and Frederick Douglass have sort of a an indirect relationship, you might say, because he attended Frederick Douglass High School, graduated in two years, would go back to be the principal at Frederick Douglass High School not long after graduating in two years. And on top of that, Frederick Douglass is, of course, a black pioneer, a black trailblazer. And Dr. Carter G. Woodson would go on to do the same. So they've always had this kind of indirect connection. And Abraham Lincoln was, of course, big if you if you want to say and what we know as the emancipation and the freeing quote-unquote freeing of the enslaved people enslaved africans enslaved african-americans you can make that debate as to how much impact he truly had but just on the surface level you can say he had a huge part of that so the week wasn't what we know black as black history month today so you might be asking how did how did we go from a week to a month that's a good question. So before I get into that, I want to tell you that first, what he did, what he being Dr. Carter, first what Dr. Carter G. Wilson would do was he encouraged local and non-local black teachers, black professors, black educators, black students, and even the integrated schools to recognize Black History Week or Negro History Week, excuse me. He would encourage them to recognize this and to and to celebrate it just like he was, to spread the word and to partake in the events. That way it began to spread. And with that being said, because he was doing that and it was spreading around the country, eventually, all the way in February 1970, this, this was going on for a long time. So all the way in 1970, black students and educators at Kent State decided to recognize it as a whole month rather than a week, which is how we almost got to Black History Month. We're not quite there, but that's the start of it 
So to recap, he created Negro History Week in 1926. He encouraged other black environments and other black teachers, professors, students to celebrate it. And it wasn't all the way until 1970 that at Kent State University, black students and educators recognized it as a whole month. And it wasn't until another six years after that, that President Gerald Ford, of course, the current president at that time, will recognize Black History Month as a national holiday. And the rest is history. That's how we got to where we're at today. So it wasn't until 50 years later from him creating Negro History Week that we got to what we know as Black History Month. And that's crazy to me because that's a whole 50 years. Mr. Carter Woodson died April 3rd, 1950 in Washington, D.C. So he technically didn't get to see or he didn't get to see Black History Month or, or while he was here on Earth. So for it to take so long, is crazy. But we did get something out of it. And I'm sure he would be proud if he was here to see it, of, of what it's become, possibly. Of course, it's commercialized and whatnot. So that's why I feel like it's important on us to not just commercialize it, but to actually learn and to actually do our own research and, and to not just treat February as Black History Month and to treat every month, every day as Black History Month. Not that us as African-Americans are better than anybody, but in that we don't get the credit that we deserve most of the time, if not all the time. So Negro History Week was first and then it became Black History Month. And that's kind of all I that's that's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to give you guys a brief rundown of his life, a brief explanation of how it went from Negro History Week to Black History Month as we know it. Of course, it's been Black History Month has been a thing since 1976. That's a long time. That's, a, that's way before my time, if you might say. So this is something bigger than us, us being my generation. And it's bigger than a lot of people. And it's on us as African-Americans in particular to do our own research and to not just treat February as a month dedicated to us and to, and to, and to treat ourselves with respect each and every month and to learn about ourselves each and every month. So, once again, I just want to shout out of course, you can't hear it, but Mr. Oliver Jones, because he set, he set Mr. Carter on the right track, and that's huge. And here at Jamal's Giants, we want to play that role of a Mr. Oliver or all the black teachers and professors. And shout out to all my black teachers and professors, my African-American teachers and professors that I've ever had. They, they were huge in my life because I didn't see them too often. So every time I would come across an African-American teacher, professor, principal, shout out to Mr. Keys. It would encourage me and I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back at it now, you might say that that encouraged me to do what I'm doing now with Jamal's Giants. So huge shout out to all the black instructors around the world, around the around the, the country listening in North Carolina, South Carolina, whatever, wherever you may be. Huge shout out to you. You guys are necessary. We need you not only in the classrooms, but we need you for our black youth and our black children and our our black people in general. We need you, not just the children. We need you as well. So with all that being said, I just want to give once again my shout outs to my cousins, more like my brothers, Kaden and Cameron, as well as my auntie Angel. I love y'all. Y'all are strong. I love y'all. I thank y'all for what y'all do for me. And I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. You all can follow myself on Instagram, my personal Instagram at Jamal Frank, J-A-M-A-L-F-R-I-N-K-K. You can follow this organization on Instagram and Facebook at Jamal's Giants, spelled just like it sounds, J-A-M-A-L-S-G-I-A-N-T-S. And once again, I ask that you 
I ask that you please share this podcast and share it with your auntie, your, your grandmother, your grandfather, your, your mother, your, your best friends, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. I ask that you guys please share this and get it out because this information, of course, I'm not the best source <laughs> of information, but I think that this is a good start and it, it'll help us all learn. And I want to spread this information, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of us all. And I say this in the most humblest way. I thank you all for tuning in from the bottom of my heart. I do appreciate it. I ask that you guys continue to share. We're growing each and every episode. And thank you all for tuning in. I hope that God continues to bless your life. Whatever you're going through, stay strong. If, you, if you're here on earth, if you're above ground, you still got a purpose to fulfill. Ask God to make that, that purpose clear to you and, and continue to walk in it and move in it. Don't, don't, don't settle for nothing less than what you're worth. And I'm going to leave that at that. Thank you all again for listening. God bless. And Jesus is king.